Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality with your host, me, Aliyah Lovely. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some of the shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and new discoveries and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up about what spirituality in today's world really looks like. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I am your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and I'm so excited to bring you guys today, Aaron Abke. Aaron Abke is a rising philosopher and spiritual teacher who left his foundation as a Christian worship leader to search for truth after he experienced his own spiritual awakening. The signed fitness model turned spiritual philosopher is making waves in the YouTube community with topics like astral projection, saving faith from fundamentalism, A Course in Miracles, and The Law of One just to name a few. In under a year and his short time on YouTube is changing the game. Some videos already reaching half a million views. He breaks down complex spiritual concepts and makes them accessible for the masses. Aaron's passion is to share the path of inner freedom and self-realization with the world and he does so today via YouTube, social media, meditation classes, workshops, and seminars. In teaching self-empowerment, Aaron's main areas of focus are understanding the ego, self-love, forgiveness, and inner peace. I hope you would all love to give a warm welcome to my guest, Aaron, today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Aaron, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Spiritual shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to get right into it because I love when I'm watching content that they just go straight to the topic. Um, And our first segment is going to be about astral projection. So first I want your take of what astral projection actually is and what happens when you engage with it. You know, the more that I try to explain this, the less I feel like I am able to explain it adequately (laughs) because it's just such a a mystery, honestly, like we can pretend like we, we know what astral projection is, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't, you know, it's just a phenomenon that we can experience and we can try to put our our language on it and put our parameters on it concepts, but ultimately we're experiencing something the universe is doing. And so you know, the best I can say about what it is from my viewpoint of my experience of it is that, um, you know, consciousness essentially can only dream experiences because consciousness is non-local, non-physical. So it doesn't have a form itself that it can run around and play games and have experiences with. So it needs to create an illusion of an experience. And it does that, you know, in an infinite variety of ways through infinite different densities of and dimensions of of reality and i think that astral projection is just another one of those densities and dimensions that we can access through consciousness and we do so through the the vehicle of of sleep at night Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that makes a lot of sense why because uh something i explain in some of my projection videos is that your consciousness is not like stuck in your body or or trapped in your body it's just deeply focused on your body, right? 
Yeah, our body's in our consciousness. Right, exactly. Your body's in your consciousness in the same way that, you know, your dream character is in your mind at night, right? Right. <clears throat> so our physical body just has a lot of different sort of anchor points for consciousness to localize on. You know, your blood circulating, your skin temperature, your heart beating, your neurons firing, food digesting. All of these uh, sensations are, are absorbing consciousness into it so that mm -hmm. it feels like I'm really firmly in this body right now having this experience. But when we sleep at night, the illusion begins to break down a little bit. And mm -hmm. we can see that actually my consciousness is not stuck in my body. It's actually non-local. And when my body is deeply relaxed and my mind, uh, the attentive faculties have been sort of shut down for a while. Uh, if we know how to manipulate consciousness, we can begin to sort of roam around the universe and experience other dimensions, uh, unlike this one. And so, you know, we call it the astral, which is just mm -hmm. like a huge oversimplification of, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever else is out there in, mm -hmm. uh, in an energetic world or uh, a, a lighter, higher vibrational density, who knows, but it's, it's definitely, from my experience, it seems to be a real place where real beings exist and you mm -hmm. can speak with them and hear their stories and you know all kinds of stuff we can get into so that's just sort of my understanding and experience of what astral projection is so it's really fascinating to me because it entertains the idea that there are multiple dimensions multiple densities that we can interact with at any point in time and so but the way that i found you through this astral projection video was that there was a very instructional way to be able to achieve that and I've been seeing more and more on content that it's on the rise, that everybody's kind of looking for that. What are the benefits of doing astral projection in the first place? And why has it become such a big thing? Yeah, I find that to be a really great question that I get asked a lot. Um, people are like, you know, but why? What's the point? Come on. What's really the point of doing this? And the quickest answer is do it and find out for yourself what the point yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if I, you know, can give you a, a more detailed answer, I would say that the point of it is to expand your consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, suffering can only exist in a story, right? All suffering is a form of a story. And when we just have this little narrow filter that we look through of, I am this body, this person in this little lifetime with my little problems and my sad stories, and that's all that there is. We don't have the ability to widen that lens and sort of zoom out and see the macro perspective of who I am yeah. uh, and, and get a wider angle that allows me to see the illusion of my stories and suffering. Because the truth is uh, we're all multidimensional beings that have, you know, a soul and oversoul, higher self, whatever you want to call it, all the way up to the source consciousness itself is what you are projecting itself into these little dreams or finite forms to have experiences of itself. And when you take your little story so damn seriously, that's when you get into trouble, right? Yeah. And uh, psychedelics is one way to widen that lens. And astral projection is another way to widen that lens and allow you to see that you are just like a little grain of sand on the beach, you know, dust in the wind, here today, gone tomorrow. And the ego is terrified of having that realization, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, the ego's going to have a fit with that. <laughs> Yeah, my, my kingdom is crashing down and crumbling to dust, you know. Yeah. But that's why you want that experience because that is what liberates you from the tyranny of the ego and its little kingdom and has you trapped in of me and my sad story. And you see that, wow, the universe is this vast, infinite expanse of 
infinite varieties of experiences and I am all of them and yeah. they're, they're all available to me. And when you explore the astral, you know, just like a psychedelic trip, you start seeing stuff that you didn't think was possible. Yeah. Experiencing stuff you didn't think was possible. And all of a sudden the conceptual becomes the experiential. Yeah. And that's when freedom really becomes your reality and not just an idea. Well, I had my first astral experience uh, actually a few days ago. This episode actually was supposed to be all about Law of One, but since I had that, I was like, let me talk to Aaron about this. He seems to know a lot about this topic. Um, so I was, um, I was laying in bed, and it's funny because I had watched your video prior, but I didn't look at the next one that you have where it's more instructional. Uh -huh. um, well, there's two of them, I think, but... Anyway, I had my headphones on, like you said. <laughs> um, I was already listening to some perhaps like ASMR type of stuff or whatever because I was trying to take a nap, but I couldn't fall asleep. And I wasn't intending on doing anything astral at all. Like it was just, I was like laying there. And then um, maybe after an hour of kind of like rustling around or whatever, I was like, all right, let me try this astral projection thing. And I slipped into it so fast. Like I wasn't expecting, I was just kind of laying there. And then I started to feel like, what felt like my arms starting to pull up, like, or a little bit. And I was like, whoa, what is that? And then I, I started to feel as if I was kind of hovering above my body, but I was too scared to open my eyes. Uh -huh. And I was like, okay, what's happening? And I just had this sensation of like, kind of when you're super high, when you're just kind of like, I'm nowhere and everywhere. And so I felt like I was getting close to like a barrier, like the ceiling perhaps. And then this loud, crazy alarm noise went off, like a, like really, really loud, but it scared me so bad that I was like, come back, 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 come back to your body right now. We are not doing this. So um, there's no place I, like home. There's no place like yeah, home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No place like Kansas, um, which I'm in Kansas City, by the way. So that's kind of funny. Um, so anyway, so I, I came back down and then I experienced what felt like a seizure um, where I was kind of in and out, op eyes opening, closing, whatever, that I was in between the state where I was like, I felt like I was moving, like I was having a seizure. And once that stopped, then it, like I was in sleep paralysis. Like I couldn't, um, I couldn't move for about a minute or two or so. It felt like forever. But what my question is around that is that I, like, I felt like I was completely conscious when I made that decision that I wanted to go into astral travel, that I wasn't asleep. Um, because I went to like napped and then I went to the bathroom and I came back, mm -hmm. but I thought, Oh shit. What if I never woke up? I was already astral traveling. That's when I went to the bathroom and then came in and was like, let's do this astral thing. Uh -huh. Um, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, you would probably know once the experience was over though, that it definitely wasn't your real body going to the bathroom. Yeah. A lot of times that's the best time to try to project is after it's, it's called the waking back to bed method. Yeah. Um, you want to get yourself alert enough to where you can still drift back into sleep, but it's, it's not like a deep sleep. Yeah. Uh, your mind doesn't just nosedive, but you can sort of stay conscious a little bit and then you start to project somewhere. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense that that would have been why you were able to project that quickly. Yeah, it was super easy. So then I tried it again, of course, and it didn't work, but <laughs> I was like, all right, let's do that. Like, what are all the steps? What was I listening to before? Let me like see if I can make this magical formula to do it again. Um, but even though like um, for my listeners, like you guys should go look him up and go find these videos. Um, they're very instructional and very uh, informational. But 
for you? Like, what are your experiences? How often do you astral travel? What do you see while you're there? What are some major awakenings that you came to while you're in the astral realm? Well, I haven't astral projected in probably six months or more um, since I've been doing counseling and, you know, YouTube all the time. I have to do it. I'm not naturally a gifted astral projector, so uh, I have to spend you know weeks at a time going through my practices and uh, reintroducing myself to the visualizations and all that because mm -hmm. it's what astral projection really is is you're sort of training your subconscious mind to do it for you. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, like it it has to know that okay when I reach this part of my sleep cycle I want to become lucid and da 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 da. -da. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of try to do it for a while without any real results and then eventually you're taking a nap one day and then boom it happens right mm -hmm. do you have to be asleep for this to happen at all no really really advanced projectors can do it in meditation uh -huh. um, i've had it happen once incidentally in meditation but it never on purpose sleep is just really helpful because it shuts down all of the cognitive faculties of the mind for a while to allow your consciousness more freedom but okay. It's just the easiest doorway sort of to the astral. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I have to do the waking back to bed method in the morning, get up early, stay awake for 10 minutes, go back to sleep. And, you know, I have clients at 8 a.m. usually, and I just don't have time to do that now. Yeah. But I did devote, you know, many years to it. And I've probably had, you know, around 50 astral projections in my life. So I'm not. That's a lot. Would, yeah. I mean, it's a good amount. Yeah. <laughs> I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but. I, I consider myself advanced enough to make videos about, hey, here's how I do it and follow my steps. Videos that reach almost a million views. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some experiences that you've had while you've done it? Like, what did you see? What did you experience if it's not too personal? Man, it's, you know, it's so different every time. Mm -hmm. um, I've had Give me your favorite one. Okay, favorite one. Um, so my first... My first real, um, you know, it's so tricky to talk about where I think I was and all that, but my first real hyper real astral projection happened years ago when I was obsessed with it and I was every single day I was trying to do it. Um, I worked at a gym in the morning and then a gym at night, two different gyms, and mm -hmm. I'd be home during the day. And yeah. so I would, I would go like, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock. I would take naps and sit on, lay on my couch and binaural beats and everything. And uh, one of those days I was on my bed and I fell asleep doing my visualizations and I had this dream that I was like, um, like a cowboy on a horse or something like that. <laughs> I was walking around with this, on this horse, riding around on this horse. And for some reason I was trying to get up this hill and I had a lasso and I lassoed this big rock. Lasso stuck around the rock and I, as soon as I pulled it, I pulled myself sort of out of my body, I guess, because I, I sat up in bed like this and uh -huh. I was, I was sort of like 45 degree angle in bed, laying, sitting mm -hmm. up, holding onto this rope. And, uh, <laughs> the rope was going into the wall and mm -hmm. it was, it was just as real as right now. Yeah. It felt just as real as this moment, but I'm holding onto this rope and it's like, the rope is like, um, I don't know, you could say sparklier, um, mm -hmm. ethereal looking. And I'm holding on to it and going, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> I'm looking around my room yeah. and I'm holding this rope and the curtains next to me were normally um, green, dark, dark green. 
but they were like a pinkish color. Mm -hmm. So the curtains were different, but everything about my room looked mostly the same. And, um, and it kind of freaked me out. And so I woke up, I sat up again. Mm -hmm. And this time I was actually sitting up in my body. Yeah. And I went, whoa, holy shit, that was insane. Mm -hmm. So I started looking up and talking to people on foreign boards of like, what was that? And some people had some theories. And um, one of the theories that I read was exactly what my theory was, <clears throat> which is that a lot of times when people get out of body, like have an OBE in their room, yeah. um, they will see things about their house or whatever that's a bit different. Yeah. And um, what, I, what I believe that is, is that in the uh, in, in much higher density uh, realms, and I know that this is how it works because of when you're lucid dreaming or projecting, you can create objects mm -hmm. with your mind, but you have to focus on them with a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And it's like perception is creation, right? Yeah. And so if I want to create like a table, I have to see the table in my mind's eye and bring it to life and feel it with my energy hands, and then the table will materialize. Mm -hmm. but then if I turn around and look at something else and look back, the table will be like disappearing or maybe even gone. Mm -hmm. So it only has the life force that my consciousness gave it through mm -hmm. attention, right? Yeah. So I think why things look different to people is that somebody else lived in the house before you, right? Mm -hmm. maybe they had a different couch or a different, you know, the couch in my living room one time looked different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they had observed that couch for how many years? Okay. So the so, vibrational imprint is still there. You got it. Yeah. The imprint energetically is still there in the astral. Uh, and so you, that's kind of what is made manifest. So until, until your energy imprint of whatever bed or curtains or couch you have, maybe like overtakes that one. Yeah. When you go into the energy dimension of it. The imprint of the past is still there from that person and that's really fucking cool <laughs> this trip right so does that mean then so if we want to talk about for instance i'm a medium so i interact with spirits and ghosts i see stuff like the whole the whole deal um if that's the case the astral realm that you're going into while you're in that that trance or sleep state is that the dimension that we would observe the paranormal yes um, I believe that the way it works is more like everything we think thought creates reality, right? Mm -hmm. So I believe that our thought creates when we think about something, like I think about my couch, I visualize my couch in my head. Well, all thought has to be creative. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that our thoughts create an energetic version of that object as we see it and experience it and believe it in mm -hmm. an astral realm. Like, you know, you could say we create a dimension where that exists. And so when you, when you project outside of your body, if you go to focus one, you might see the energetic imprint, which is linked to the actual object, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Uh, in that energy dimension. And so whether or not other beings might be there, it's definitely possible. But for sure, if you're experiencing a, an entity or anything of the paranormal nature, that's happening in the astral not in the physical or this 3d third density um, reality but you're tuning into it somehow with extrasensory perception you know third mm -hmm. eye pineal gland and so you're able to sort of see both realities at the same time mm -hmm. um, in the same way that you know if people uh, who are alcoholics there's this there's this uh condition called delirium trems have you heard mm -hmm. of that no so it's a condition where if you drink alcohol enough 
Um, alcohol will block uh, dream sleep. Yeah. Mind, one of the four stages. And so your body, your mind needs all four stages of dream sleep equally. And if you deny your body dream sleep, it'll eventually say, all right, well, you're not letting me get this sleep and I literally cannot function without it. And we're running, running on red line here. So I'm going to just take it from you. And so people start dreaming while they're awake. Oh, wow. So they'll see their dream imprinted over reality. Mm -hmm. um, there's a famous story of um, a marathon runner who broke the, re the world record for the 100-mile race. I can't remember her name, but she tells this story where she, she broke the record by like a huge amount of time. And they mm -hmm. asked her, how did you do it? And she said, well, I didn't stop to sleep. Everyone stops. She didn't what? She didn't stop to sleep. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And most, most people will stop and they'll uh, take a 10 minute, 20 minute nap and then keep running because you'll start hallucinating if you don't. Yeah. And so she, what she did was she had a, I guess everyone has like a buddy that is on a bicycle next to them. Yeah. Um, to keep, keep them accountable and safe and all that. So she told her partner, she said, let me sleep for one minute. And her partner said, okay. So she would uh, lay back against a tree and fall mm -hmm. asleep and she would have these hyper vivid dreams that felt like hours or days long and she would wake up and, and get super angry at her partner and go what the hell i told you one minute <laughs> and her partner's like that was one minute that's crazy and she's like how is that possible but her brain was so deprived that you know she, mm -hmm. time doesn't really exist right so she goes right. into some dream dimension where she experiences days at a time and it's just wow. a minute of time in this reality. Well, then she feels super rested, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So she, she got just enough sleep to keep running. Mm -hmm. So she's running. And she said, as I got near the end of the race, you know, Barney's running next to me. There's a giant bunny rabbit, like, making faces at me. <laughs> Keep beings and, you know, ancestors around me. And she's looking at her, her partner on the bike, just going, how much longer do we have, you know? Yes. <laughs> So, so it's possible to experience multiple realities at the mm -hmm. same time, but it, you know, it takes certain variables being in place. And that's why we have to train ourselves through meditation and visualization and all that stuff. Um, because these, you know, this third density reality here is very hard and, and slow vibrational and dense. And so yeah. it absorbs heavy. our attention. Yeah, it's heavy, but you can see into the astral or, or perceive in an extrasensory way in whatever way you do as a medium mm -hmm. um, it's entirely possible yeah there's um so that triggered uh memory of this dream so maybe i was astral projecting i just wasn't aware of it in the way that i did this time but i had a dream one time where i like i have this recurring dream all the time where i'm running in the airport and i've lost my bag or my passport or something like that i have it three or four times a week like wow a lot um, I've been having it probably for 15 years. Uh, I sat in a channeled session where my guides came through and said, this is Aaliyah trying to leave her body every time. So you, every time you get to the airport, you're like, oh, wait, I don't have my bag. It's like, wait, you can't leave yet. You don't have your body. So uh, okay. continue to have this dream. So I didn't find out what it meant until later, but before, maybe a couple of years ago, I was living in Brooklyn and I was in this dream, couldn't find my passport, couldn't get on the plane, the whole thing. And these really tall beings came up to me hmm. and they were like, Aaliyah, stop. And I was like, no, 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 I have to get on the plane. And they were like, stop. And everything around me stopped, like completely halted. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And they were like, we're trying to communicate with you. We need you to just, like when you come here we want to talk to you and i was like come where 
And so they like snapped and we went up into what I can only perceive as the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, like space, purple, pink, whatever. Nothing around. We're not standing on anything. We're just kind of floating. And they're like, this is where you can communicate with us. This is where you can talk to us. And I was like, okay. And they said, so the next time you have this dream, try and focus really hard on where you're at. What are the details? It's why we keep giving you the same dream. So it's like some inception shit, you know, (laughs) keep getting the same dream over and over so you can recognize the stop signs. Right. So I said, okay. And they're like, try really hard to focus on where you're going to be at. Blah blah blah. So I wake up from the dream. I'm super free because I'm like, who the hell was that? Um, It felt super real. Um, And so then maybe like for two weeks, I I had the dream every night and couldn't quite get where it was. And so one morning, waking back to bed, um, I, I woke up and then I fell back asleep. And in this dream, I was driving or riding in an Uber on the way to the airport. And I was in an Uber pool because apparently in my dreams, I can't even have my own Uber, but that's another story. (laughs) So I'm in an Uber pool and um, the driver is a gorilla. And very strange because most of my dreams are very real, Um, not like realistic. Um, So in the front seat, there's a, the, you know, the gorilla is driving. He's trying to tell me something, but I can't understand him because he's, and then there's a man next to me who looks very peculiar and he's kind of sketchy looking. So we're on the way. And then the Uber pole pulls into the gas station. And I was like, oh, that's probably what the gorilla was trying to tell me that they needed gas. So um, very logical. And so anyway, <laughs> when I look over to my right, the man who's in the car uh, pulls out a gun. And he's like, points it up, shoots it through the ceiling. We all get down. He points it at me. I jump out of the car. He shoots, misses me. I run behind a stall. Um, he's doing that slow walking thing where you just, you know, you can run as fast as you want and they're right there. Um, so I go into the convenience store and I'm just like, I'm in so much fear. Like I'm about to die. And I'm having this moment of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something about this feels familiar. I'm having, starting to come to, I start looking at my hands and it's as real, like you said, as real as we're talking right now. And I'm going, wait a minute. Okay. This is, this is hold on, is this a dream? And so he points the gun at me and I just, like I did the thing that the two beings did before they snapped, but they kind of touched the wall when they did it. So I closed my eyes and just touched the wall next to me and I jumped like to another like dimension or plane. I ended up being at my sister's house, jumped right there. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. I jumped. I, I made the leap. I made this. And my sister comes in and she's like, what are you doing? We got to go to the airport. And I was like, I fucking did it. And she's like, where's your bag? And I was like, I left it in the other dream. <laughs> so anyway, we walked out of the door and it was the whole thing. So I, I feel like that would have been a, like a proper astral projection or a lucid dream of some sort. That was my most memorable one. But in that, in that interaction with, like you said, the, the realities or the imprintations, but also other entities, like there seemed to have been like a, a, a connection with something conscious bringing me to that space, trying to make that connection. Have you experienced anything like that? Yes. It's, that's a very common thing with projection is that you'll meet, um, people call it your, your, your spirit guide or your astral guide, but it's basically, you know, you from a higher, a higher density version of you that is guiding you through that experience. And, um, my, my guide will bring me in. This is also very common. will bring me on like these different, um, uh, what do I call it? They're, they're called retrievals. Mm-hmm. It's something you do that your, your guide will 
show you like, hey, here's some beings that are kind of stuck in different astral dimensions based on a trauma they experienced in an incarnation. And when they die, they're, they're, it was such an intense trauma, whatever it was, that they kept recreating it mm. in the astral. And without the sense of time in the astral, they don't know that they're trapped in a loop, a feedback loop yeah. of their own emotional energy that they need to heal and forgive and cleanse. And so there's this phenomenon in the astral called retrievals where mm-hmm. you, you go to try and help these beings out of this loop. I've done stuck. that. Have you? Yeah. I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. That's a trip. Okay. So have you, you've done that? Uh, once. Okay. And yeah. what was that like? What, how, what happened? So, and I said all that to confirm what you were asking about, like those, yeah. those tall beings mm. that, that were trying to guide you. Like the reason your driver was a gorilla is most likely because your, your guide or guides were trying to put, they put themes in these dreams for you to try and snap you out of it. So they'll, mm-hmm. they'll make it like a gunman tries to kill you and you're afraid. And those kind of things push you to the edge of your, of your um, dream consciousness to where you're forced to look for an out. And then mm-hmm. that wakes you up and go, oh, I'm in a dream, a dream within mm-hmm. a dream. Yeah. And you can shift into another <clears throat> dimension and then hopefully meet with them or have whatever experience they want you to have. And so that's the kind of the nature of projection is that consciousness changes its experience by shifting its focus. It's all it does. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're experiencing in front of you, you have to know that it's just an illusion. It's not actually there. And if you can disregard what you're having, what experience you're having now and imagine a different one, then you can snap to that reality or dimension where that's happening. And so, you know, just like in this 3D we're in right now, um, imagination is a portal to mm-hmm. other worlds. And that's why in law of attraction, you visualize the reality you want, you bring it to life with emotion and feeling, and the universe begins bringing you synchronicities that will allow mm-hmm. you to step into that reality. Well, in the astral, it's a much higher vibrational, you know, thousands of times or whatever higher in, in frequency. And so you can snap into a new reality basically instantly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a bit, you kind of have a merging process where the, the current reality fades away and the new one comes in. But, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it works. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I had a, one experience where my guide asked me if I wanted to do a retrieval because I'd read a lot about them on these forum boards. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So we, he took me to some place where he basically looks exactly like me. Um, mm-hmm. Took me to some the place. or your guide? Uh, my guide. Okay. And there was a, it was like a war veteran who was uh, sort of stuck in this loop of like, he was like on the battlefield and his friend had, had stepped on a landmine or something. Mm-hmm. And he was holding, like, from what I saw, I could, I was seeing what I saw of him, which was just a person by himself <clears throat> holding a fake body and saying like, Fred, no, Fred, or whatever the guy's mm-hmm. name was, I don't remember. And I, I approached him and I could, I could tune into his reality and see mm-hmm. what he was seeing. And I almost like both at the same time. And I saw that he had a helmet on and it was like a World War One or World War II, um, you know, veteran. And he's holding this guy and I, I sort of like tried to get his attention. I'm like, hey, excuse me, sir, um, who are you talking to? You know, mm-hmm. he's like, my friend, quick, go get help. He's, he's, his leg is blown off. And he's like freaking out. And I'm like, um, I don't see anyone here. Are you sure? Are you positive? This is, is this real? 
and you know, I kept kind of having this dialogue with him and he wasn't able to step out of it. Mm -hmm. And I kept looking back at my guide and um, he just kept like, you know, do the best you can. He didn't want to like give me the answers or whatever, how to do this. And so eventually I, I couldn't get anywhere with him. And so he kept relating to me like I was another soldier, you know? Yeah. He was still stuck in that trauma so intensely. And so I stopped I have a out. question about that. Yeah. Because you, like you said, you look back at your guide to see if like, hey, can you help me out or whatever? What's the, because I've done a few retrievals as well. And I find that like, and I had the question, why must it be me that goes into this realm to help these people through? Why aren't our guides doing that? Yeah. Well, the retrieval is just as much for you as it is for the person you're trying to save. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a, it's a way that, you know, the service to others path and like in law, yeah. one, it's all about free will. Mm -hmm. They honoring free will is the number one priority. So your guide will allow you to go on a retrieval and help you get there, but they're not going to be like, okay, and here's what you do. And here's what you do. And here's what you do. Yeah. Cause that's not honoring your free will. They need you to learn the experience itself is like a medium through which you expand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was like, well, they're trapped there. Like, go help them. Why am I like the, the less powerful one coming in and, and helping them with that when you guys could do that very easily? Yes. yes. Teach learning as they call it. <laughs> yeah. Teach learning. That's right. Very cool. All right. Well, now might be a good time to break. And because um, we're starting to hit on things of law one stuff. So I really want to kind of get into that too as well. So we'll take a moment for our sponsor. Okay, so we just did an amazing uh, segment on astral projection, and now we will get into the law of one, which um, is gaining popularity in our, I would say, in spiritual communities, those who are not like super deep in the hole. <laughs> it's becoming more mainstream, where it's becoming more open. Um, I discovered the law of one by um, a thousand synchronicities, essentially pushing me towards this work. Um, it got to be annoying where I was like, I just know this person's going to say something about the law of one. It was insane. I went to Denver and to random dog walker. We started talking about aliens and he was like, I just booked it. I think you would read it. And I was like, I'm reading this book right now called the law of one. He's like, I'm reading the same book. I'm like, ah, you know, so just like stuff like that. It was kind of crazy, but it's the only thing that I've read and I've come from a very fundamentalist Christian background. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had my own awakening maybe 10 years ago. And then I stepped into this and I found this and I was like, holy shit. It was almost as if I was remembering something that I've always known. And it resonated so deeply that I was like, I, I mean, I read through the, the first book. I'm still, I'm in the second one right now, but I read through the first book in like a week, <clears throat> digested the material. And I was like, I have to read it again. Like it was so fascinating. So from your perspective, being a, a big teacher on this topic, what is the law of what? Deep breath. <laughs> um, the law of one is... It is an explanation of the nature of reality that has been channeled through a higher dimensional being called Ra. And mm -hmm. all of the, um, you know, all of the categories and concepts and things in the law of one are, you, are, you see them in, in parallels of other spiritual works or channeled works. But in the same way that I would have a certain take on reality, you would have a certain take <clears throat> It's not like um, all higher density beings have this exact same mapped out explanation of reality. 
they all put it in the words that they find to be the most relevant and precise, mm -hmm. right? And so because of that, there's a ton of parallels in like the Wingmaker's material, Law of One, Course in Miracles. You see a ton of parallels, but they're describing reality differently according to their experience of it because reality is infinite. Right. So there's an infinite variety of ways you can categorize it, but Ra's take on it, uh, they call it the Law of One, which is this idea that all is one. There's only one being in the universe. And it experiences itself through each and every one of us. And we're sort of on this evolutionary journey that the source takes where it sort of expands itself out into infinite pieces of fragments of its consciousness and then absorbs it back into itself through evolution so that I can have that spectrum of experience or contrast of what its nature is like. And Ra calls that the law of one. Amazing. That's so beautiful. The way that you explain that. Um, I would love, so from our listeners perspective, um, the thing that got me the most and that I was most interested in was the densities and the explanation of those and how we go between those, which I have some questions for you about them. But if you can explain briefly um, the densities um, and how they're different from dimensions and what they all kind of entail. Yeah, when I say density, a lot of the times the part of my mind is like, ah, oh, some people are not are totally lost, yeah. <laughs> you, mean, you know. <laughs> but uh, the easiest way to understand it is that a density is not a dimension uh, in space and time. It is a non-local stage of the evolution of a soul or the frequency of a soul. So if you imagine like a waveform, mm -hmm. right, like this, so this would be a very low vibrational waveform, and right. that's that would be considered a density, because if you zoom out like this table, this coffee mug is dense it's um its vibration is very slow because it appears to be in the same location and it's i can touch it i can grab it because it's not going anywhere very fast right it's waveform is like this at the subatomic level but a higher vibrational frequency like this is much more ethereal and um, translucent and, and all that so it can move around easier it's harder to physically grab onto uh, the best way to think about it is like ice versus water versus right. steam mm -hmm. it's all the same thing h2o at different densities right yeah so ice is a very slow density it's very slow <laughs> yes. it's, not, it's not going anywhere right it's perfect for the podcast <laughs> right right <laughs> the water is more um malleable and all that mm -hmm. and then steam is like even more malleable so your consciousness moves through densities of evolution Mm -hmm. where the slower the vibrational frequency of your soul's frequency is, um, the, the more difficult it's going to be for it to see through illusions and it's going to be more trapped in, the, in 3D reality. And mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be trapped by more dense things because its vibration is very dense, very low vibrational. Mm -hmm. But um, a higher density, a higher vibration can see through illusions easier, uh, is not as trapped and bound to you know, 3D reality. And so that's why souls who incarnate into a, a third density body, like a human, like you and I, um, if they're like a sixth density soul, then they tend to become enlightened easier and they move through these lessons a lot faster. Whereas some souls, you know, like um, maybe like your grandparents, you might have a grandparent like this who they're still stuck in the same shit they were going through as a child. You know, they still have not healed their childhood wounds. And you're just like, grandma, gosh, when are you going to do the inner work to heal this stuff? You know, stop being a racist. Gosh, <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like, 
she just might be a much lower density soul. And so that's just where she's at. So no judgment. She is yeah. incapable of seeing that lesson yet because her soul's frequency is too slow. And as we go through evolution, it becomes faster and higher vibrational. And so we, we go through those lessons easier or in previous lifetimes, we've already learned those lessons. Right. So in this lifetime, it's like click, we get it within a few years and we're done with it. So now we have to back not, up a little bit because we, we need to explain the what because you said third density and six, and I think our listeners might not know what those are. Right, right. Anyway, but <clears throat> so Ra lays it out in seven densities, um, at least this universe, this octave he calls it. They call it uh, would be categorized in seven major densities, and that's just the way that he that they like to slice it apart. Yeah. There is no real firm line, you know, mm -hmm. it's all, it's all a spectrum, but for the sake of understanding, it's helpful for the, for linear thinking to cut it up into pieces. So mm -hmm. raw cuts it up into seven pieces and the eighth density would be the beginning of a new octave or a new universe that your soul begins from the beginning and starts another evolutionary cycle. Mm -hmm. So raw, which is a sixth density being, um, which we call, they call a social memory complex, which is essentially loads and loads of beings that are, that have evolved and come to this particular density to then combine their consciousness in order to be this like walking library of all this information. Correct. Correct. So the first one is elements, fire, water, air, earth, bacteria, things like that. Second density is plants and animals. The top of the second density would be like pets who started to learn ego or consciousness, guilt, shame, things like that. Uh, third density is our human uh, perspective, um, which we can tell in our government system, who's on the low end, who's on the high end. Um, then we have our fourth density, which is our, now I'm still confused a little bit about uh, fourth density because I know that it's when we change from our chemical body, our atomic body to our light body um, or in between. And so like, I would still get confused whether or not ghosts are fourth density or if we, we evolve to fourth density and come back to third. So there's that right. essentially like when we start our light body, um, heart ray, right? Heart ray, drain yes. energy thing. And fifth density, which is essentially the path to wisdom it's a lot of alone time and seeking enlightenment, things like that to sixth density, which is what raw is. And then seventh, which would be going, coming back to the creator. Correct. Essentially. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, so with that, there's like, uh, to me, there's, so, so when we think about religion, okay. Um, which I think is a very juicy topic. Um, when we talk about Jesus, um, we've, we've spoken about reincarnation as if that's a given. Um, but this is a practice or a uh, philosophy based on the law of one as well. And so when we talk about reincarnation, like give me your philosophical, religious, or fundamental perspective of um, why reincarnation is a part of the law of one and what Ra talks about that, like the cycles and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you really think about it, the, the context religion gives about the afterlife just makes absolutely no sense at all. Yeah. Um, from any, there's a lot of holes yeah it's like more holes than a block of swiss cheese really <laughs> it's just unbelievably absurd to say that in this infinite universe where you know we say god's eternal right in christianity um that god would put us here for one tiny speck of time and then that determines our entire destiny for the rest of eternity like there's no possible way 
a soul could understand all the complexities of the human experience in one short lifetime. Mm -hmm. Some people die when they're like 15 years old, right? It's like, how is that a fair shot? There's no way. It's impossible. And the only reason that you can be a human right now and have the understanding of uh, emotion and language and love and intimacy and uh, fear and all these different dynamics of what it means to be a human is because you first had to experience and integrate, understand what it's like to just be a rock Mm -hmm. for billions of years. Consciousness has to wake up to itself in the physical form, in the dream, before it becomes, uh, before a new experience becomes available, right? Mm-hmm. So first, let me just understand what it is to be a rock. Yeah. And then let me understand what it is to be a plant. I mean, a plant has a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. If you think about it. Living system. Yeah. It responds. Lots of chemical things that have to move around in order to grow. Yep. Live, survive, things like that, evolve. And it responds to its environment and all kinds of stuff. And then let me understand being an insect and an animal. And then maybe after all, all of these experiences, consciousness has expanded its vibration enough to have the capacity to be in this body. I mean, if you really think about it, there is nothing more psychedelic than a human. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are these transcendental objects the universe has yeah. manifested with feelings and thoughts and desires and pain and, you know, so incredibly dynamic this instrument we are for the source to know itself through and if you know the the most important thing to understand about this whole concept of reincarnation is that the source all by itself has no clue what it is Mm -hmm. it's just pure original innocence before Mm -hmm. anything is created there is no context for it to have against itself to know what it's like because it is the earliest thing in existence, right? Mm-hmm. Before anything existed, there was the one source and it is pure. It is uncontaminated by anything. And so it's like, you know, like a child, this is why we love innocent things, right? Mm-hmm. A child is so beautiful to us because it's, it has no idea what it is. Right. It's just shining as what it is without this ego concept of self to contaminate no it. Yes. Yeah. To live up to and then to suffer from you know, a puppy, animals, we love animals because they don't know how amazing they are. They Mm -hmm. have no clue how wonderful they are. And that makes them more sacred to us. And so that is ultimately what the source is, is that that most original, most sacred, ancient thing that can be imagined and beyond. And so it needs context to know what it's like. And that's what physical reality is. So reincarnation makes a lot of sense from that viewpoint that this is all so the creator can have an understanding of what its nature is like. And it has to do that. It can't just do that in one little tiny lifetime and then whoop, all done. Yeah. There's no, it's infinite. There's nowhere near enough context it's given to know what it's like. It's a challenging concept from the background of knowing it, as you know, the creator as omniscient, omnipresent, all knowing, um, has a plan for everyone, has a very distinct, there's no mistakes. Like there's a very interesting, because then when you, we start getting into polarities, for instance, um, we start thinking about, okay, well, for, in order for the, the, the creator, the source to know itself, it needs to know what it doesn't like. There needs to be contrast. There needs to yep. be experiencing a facet of itself through every avenue, which is why we can't judge when someone has chosen a certain polarity or path because we are like, it's the universe experience itself through us. Yes. But the, the interesting 
which I find that like that's a challenging concept when you've been brainwashed with yes. over and over <laughs> with this is how this is how this is and there's this man in the sky that's like okay you got it wrong in your teeny tiny spectrum of time you're going to hell right. um something near I think I watched a podcast with Chris Tomlinson I think is his name oh, Aaron Tomlinson yeah Aaron Tomlinson sorry um and it's funny because he said the same thing I was having a discussion with my mom about the bible which was interesting no less <laughs> and um and I said, you know, it doesn't make sense to me that where, where we were before we got here on earth in the ether, like we're up there with God, chilling, whatever, getting ready for our incarnation on earth. And we spend however many years with him before we get here. And then we get here and we're separate from him. And then it's like, okay, you get 15 years if you're lucky, you know, like 80 years if you're lucky to then discover these very complex soul lessons than to only be thrown in the lake of fire if you didn't get it in time and yeah. i was like that, that seems insidious why would he keep sending us here then and then like why would we keep coming if we knew that ultimately if we would have this veil of forgetfulness and we would get here and then we have to like and then we have to i was listening to part of that podcast and saying like well then abortion would be loving yes and or things like things like that where you would take someone out before their um what is it the age of accountability right right they have beforehand before they know uh any right or wrong or whatever getting and murdered as a happen. child would be the best thing that could happen to you right yeah. right instead of having to go through this long ass dense terrible suffering life and only to be then thrown in into forever yeah right yeah if you think about like any good christian does this right uh if, if they want to have their their son or daughter appreciate the life they've been given more what do they do they send them on a missions trip <sighs> yeah well, every good child needs to know how much they should appreciate and be grateful for what we've given them. So we're going to send them on a mission trip to Mexico to build some houses. <laughs> I love how every time you talk about like staunch Christians, they have to take on this very Texan accent. The Southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> it just embodies the archetypes. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we do that to our kids, right? And, uh, and I, did, I had that when I was young. I went on four mission yeah. trips to Mexico. And boy, howdy, did that give me a better appreciation of my life. And right. then you just think, well, but God don't need to do that. But of course, of course he does. The, the micro, I can't take this seriously. <laughs> but, you know, the, yeah. mic, the micro is just a, a miniature viewpoint of the macro, of the, of the yeah. totality. You know, everything we see and experience in this life is and has to be, there is no other way, has to be a miniature expression of what's happening from eternity. Yeah. It's all for context, for understanding, for expression. And we do that to ourselves because we just cannot really appreciate what we have mm -hmm. until we taste and experience what it's like to not have it. Mm -hmm. And that's what God's doing in you and I right now. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because the third density is the, the hardest one and the shortest one. Yes. So we come here. So what happens in third density? Like why, what is the purpose of third density? From what I understand from the law of one, the, the main purpose of third density is what Ra calls the choosing, which happens only under the context of the veil of forgetting. Uh, that's why there is a, an organic or authentic choosing in this density is because we don't have access to any of our memories from previous lifetimes and or whatever. So mm -hmm. because of that, just like in a dream at night, the only reason you take the dream seriously is because you don't remember yes. your waking reality. Yeah. The moment you remember it, you're lucid and you lose all 
the dream loses all significance for you, right? Yeah. So in the same way, if, if the source wants itself to be able to make a organic, authentic choice without infringement between the path of light or darkness, then it needs to create some environment where it's encapsulated and sort of safe from any mm -hmm. other outside source that would influence that decision, right? Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So souls, we, ha we go through this third density after first and second, where third density is that of self-awareness, where basically that, that mechanistic nature, uh, evolutionary mind that nature has built in second density, where you know, animals are basically just um, intuitive beings. They don't think conceptually, they just react to their environment. And they react according to how that animal is programmed by evolution, right? Mm -hmm. So a tiger behaves like a tiger, not like an antelope. Yeah. You never see an antelope stalking a tiger and a tiger running from an <laughs> antelope, right? Yeah. Built <laughs> because, in the DNA. <laughs> yeah, because they're, um, you could say their animal ego tells them how to behave, right? Right. It's on instinct. So in third density, once consciousness wakes up in the form, it then is still stuck with that animalistic program of its specific ego, which ours came from the great apes. And mm -hmm. so in our ancestors and the social hierarchy and, and tribes and all this stuff that we in our past had formulated, well, the, the ego had evolved to keep up with that evolution and all of those variables. And so now we're stuck with these programs mm -hmm. and we call that ego. Yeah. And so this density, third density is about the, the friction that that ego creates against the source in the consciousness in the form that doesn't want to be bound by programs. It wants mm -hmm. free will, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have this sort of um, tug of war that happens between consciousness and ego. And eventually consciousness, sort of like the butterfly breaking out of the cocoon, mm -hmm. breaks out from the illusion of ego to know its true nature, which is perfect peace, perfect love, perfect harmony with all that is. And so that's the path of light, which mm -hmm. sees through the illusion. But the path of darkness actually uses the illusion to have a different type of experience, which we call service to self. Right. And the service to self path still sees the illusion of ego and you could say transcends it in a sense. <clears throat> but it says, hey, I liked a lot about that whole experience. I liked having control and domination over others. So let me actually use that viewpoint to enhance myself and go down this experience of the creator, which we could say is its opposite. Mm -hmm. so the negative path, uh, essentially, instead of healing the shadow and healing all of its repressed emotion, it uses it as like a fuel source right. for domination and enslavement of others. So Supply. that's kind of the, the choosing is between those two polarities. Now, it's really interesting because when we talk about, or in the law of one, they talk about the Orion group and them being on, or part of them being on the, the slate towards negative polarity. And this is an extraterrestrial situation that we're thinking about beings in other dimensions or other, or the densities maybe. But Earth itself as an organism is translate or uh, transposing into a new density as well. Um, into fourth density. And if that is the case, to be able to inhabit beings that are a fourth density, does Earth still, I would say, does Earth absorb the concept like humans do of, you know, I have this goal of enlightenment that I would like to achieve or also service to self. If Earth was on the path to service to self, could it have that cognitive, conceptual decision-making, even though we are beings incarnating on it? Like the influence of the planetary frequency? 
right? Like, can Earth decide, you know what? I would like all of my people to suffer and burn, <laughs> like, you know, right. and decide they're going to be on service itself and then thus affect our free will through that. How does Earth as an organism itself play a role in our evolution? And does it have that conceptual context to be able to decide? Yes, great question. Um, it's, yeah, it's not a conceptual thing for the Earth. Uh, because the earth is a form of logos, right? Mm -hmm. It is a logos. And so it's its Explain own. Explain logos for our listeners. Uh, logos is like uh, different densities of source consciousness um, in a co-creative fashion. So a galaxy is the first logos. And each logos sort of decides what the experiment is going to contain in it. Mm -hmm. so the galaxy decides what the laws of physics are or chemical makeup of that galaxy and so on and so forth. So like a plan, like a blueprint. Yeah, a blueprint. There you go. And then each star inside of the galaxy is a sub-logos, which creates its own solar system with its own planets and all that archetypal mind and whatnot. And then each planet is a logos, which creates its own evolution and species and all that. Mm -hmm. So the Earth is a sub-sub-sub-logos, and you are a sub-sub-sub-logos with creative power to create your reality. And so Earth has put, a, put in place a certain experiment to see how it goes. And each experiment is a way of knowing the creator, right? Mm -hmm. So Ra does say that there are um, service to self planets, planetary mm -hmm. consciousness, where essentially it's just whatever happens in the evolution of that planet, right? Mm -hmm. So our, we could see how our planet could very easily have gone service to self, right? Yeah. There's a lot of tyranny and, and dictatorships and all that. And so if the consensus of the planet is, you know, we, we put up with it, we maybe even, in, uh, we like it or we yeah. behind it, then we allow these tyrannical governments to control us, which makes us more cynical. And, and that can turn into a service to self planet where, Hey, you're just born on this planet and it's just the way it is. It's communist, it's tyrannical or whatever. Mm -hmm. But our planet we see has a, a huge awakening to the path of light where yeah. um, light workers are being incarnated at a rapid pace in it it seems very clear that if we are going to survive, <laughs> which yeah. I think we will personally, then we'll, we're moving towards the path of service to others and away <laughs> from service to self, which we had been for a long time. Mm -hmm. and that's just part of the evolution of it. So when you say light worker, which I, I know what this is, I am one, uh, <laughs> um, what, what are light workers and why have they incarnated it on earth and why are there so many of us now? Uh, light worker to me is just another way of saying service to others. And uh, there's a lot of, Ra explains this in the Law of One, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of service to others' uh, souls that are incarnating here because when a planet goes through what Ra calls the harvest, which, mm -hmm. is, which is when a planet um, shifts from a density to a, the next density, um, all the souls on that planet are, are able to um, then also be accessible to a fourth density or whatever the density is in their mm -hmm. next lifetime. So when there's that harvest period, but they don't switch. They can't switch while in their same incarnation. Uh, they can actually. They can. Okay. Yes. And Rod gives a few examples of because they ask Rob about that in the Law of One. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very rare, but it does happen. Okay. Actually, all service to self souls have to reverse polarity uh, at some point in early sixth density because they can't continue to polarize right. any further. But uh, so during this period of the harvest, when earth is shifting to fourth density, it's a very attractive time for souls to incarnate here because mm -hmm. there's a ton of catalyst available. Okay. So, catalyst catalyst as in like, go ahead. Catalyst meaning like lessons, opportunities to grow. Um, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of contrast right now between light and dark, right? Mm -hmm. Which provides that really excellent environment for uh, certain lessons to be learned, right? Mm -hmm. So souls that are trying to learn certain lessons will try to find planets where that opportunity is most available. Mm -hmm. And at this point in our planet, uh, that that contrast is very, very available right now, which we can see yeah. in our world, right? There's like yeah. a giant difference uh, on the spectrum between, it's like either somebody's over here and they're on the service to self path and you know the government wants to control and enslave and all that. But then over here, there's all these you know light workers, service to other beings who are like, no, we're not gonna stand for that. We want real freedom, we want real justice, and we're gonna fight for it. And it's that sort of tug of war that happens that is very attractive to incarnating souls. So we could argue that the worse it gets, the better it gets. Definitely. Cool. Um, with that, like, so I was asking earlier if, um, so Earth supposedly switched densities in 2012. Right. Ish, of Mayan calendar. So now the Earth is inhabitable by fourth density beings. Yeah, right? it's, it's always been habitable. Okay. You, can, you know, that's what we call wanderers, where you can still incarnate into a third density if you're fourth density. But what it means is that the evolution of the planet itself, because it's, remember, it's the planet's frequency that's fourth mm -hmm. density now, is now able to start evolving fourth density bodies. So what does that mean? Because when I'm, when I'm, when I was thinking earlier, like if, if, you know, in 2012, Earth switches its density, if a third density being is a third and is not a wanderer, can they then become a fourth density being as the earth has transformed its own vibrational field? Depending on when they choose to incarnate in the cycle of fourth density, yes. Because remember, it's, it's a like, spectrum. can we do that? Like on our, like say like me and you, we are third density and then earth shifts and we're like, we're at the consciousness level where we can, we can raise. Can we do that midlife? Uh, not midlife because you're sort of stuck in this physical vessel while you're in this incarnation, but we're already doing this. We're already making this transition. So it would actually be not totally true to say that you and I right now are in a third density body. Okay. We're, we're in a third density body with some fourth density as well. Right. We can see this in our evolution, right? Look at the difference between a human and an ape. Yeah. So apes are hairier and, you know, they, um, they have less conscious um, awareness of themselves. And as humans have evolved, we are, we're shedding our hair. Um, we're becoming mm -hmm. lighter, you know, lighter skin has now begun to evolve. And eventually it'll be, it'll be like just light bodies where we can, mm -hmm. you know, fifth density, sixth density. There is no form. There is no skin color. It's yeah. just whatever you choose to appear as, you can manifest because your body's made of electromagnetic energy. Mm -hmm. And so as our evolution continues, you will see humans begin to become um, more alien-like, you know, in a hundred thousand years, we'll be more, um, we'll be less dense, we'll be um, more of a chemical slash light body. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as, you know, a billion years later, if, you know, fifth density happens at that point, um, fifth density beings are completely in light bodies. So they can appear as orbs if they want to, or they can appear as some pre-incarnate entity that they used to be. They mm -hmm. can appear as whatever they want and travel through space and time just through telepathy and all that. It's not. So like alien, like um, people who, for instance, uh, exhibit supernatural abilities or what we consider supernatural that are doing it here now would be people who have 
some type of fourth density consciousness already or our wonders or wonders not wonders right right yeah well we're our, our psychic abilities are bound by the limitations of our physical vessel right so even though we might be a sixth density soul who has lived a sixth density incarnation already that had unbelievable psychic powers that are godlike compared to us we have to assume the role of this body mm -hmm. right and nothing in the universe is is more valid than anything else so like a third density body or a second density animal is not any less valid than a sixth density energy body or something right it's just different experiences everything is equally valid to the creator but so while we incarnate into this body we have to play by the rules so to speak Mm -hmm. so you only have the ability that this yellow ray chemical body has, which is nothing compared to a fourth density or fifth density body. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if a fourth density alien species or whatever decided to visit us here and they walked among us, like they would have powers that are just beyond our spectrum. Like yeah. they, could, they could read our minds, they could plant thoughts in our minds and so on and so forth. And are so they doing that now? That's another whole topic. <laughs> I was sitting with some of my friends and we were talking about all this stuff and we were getting really deep in it and we were like, oh no, are we, do we, are we in a cult? Like, is this, like, are we being implanted with information if they're channeling this stuff from raw? Like, are we getting this stuff? Anyway, it's kind of funny. But, um, so when we talk about channeled works, the Bible is considered a channeled work, uh, inspired by the word of God. It's also a historical book. Um, and we're like, when some of the, I wouldn't say arguments or discussions that I've had about the law of one and how it's her heretical or um, it goes against a lot of these things when we talk about Jesus. And so uh, Ra talks about Jesus as a sixth density being, is that right? Fourth, yeah. Fourth density, okay. Um, and that he came back here. So can you, can you speak to some of the, since you have a foundational Christian background and how that that lines up with you like i'm in your discovering of that process of jesus because you came from that background yeah yeah ra has a lot of interesting stuff to say about jesus the man jesus uh he his name is actually yahashua yahashua yeah. um, was his apparently his real earthly name but he, he tells the story that what caused jesus to wake up is that um you know in the bible there's dozens and dozens of healing um stories of christ laying hands on the sick and healing them and that's probably there whether or not the actual stories written down by the people who recorded them were literally true who knows yeah. um, it's likely that most of them are related to a real historical event that was you know told through stories and all that but it's very obvious that this man had a reputation as a healer mm -hmm. because most people that came to him were like we're coming to you because i have um leprosy or whatever and I, we need you to heal us <clears throat> and so I, it's very likely to me that Jesus was a powerful physical healer because there's lots of people like that alive today who they can lay hands on the sick and heal yeah. cancer and all kinds of stuff. So that's not very a far stretch to, to believe. But Ross says that Jesus um, was playing with a friend of his or got in a fight with a friend of his as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I think he, when he struck the kid, some of his, his powers, uh, his healing ability killed the little kid or maybe just injured him. I don't know, but <clears throat> that made mm -hmm. Jesus kind of go, Oh my gosh, what have I done? And he realized he had some, some power that he was unaware of. And so mm -hmm. from that age, he started praying in the temple, reading the scriptures. And then we don't have any record of Christ from 12 to 30. 
So there's he a lot. Of, <laughs> he was a what? He was in India. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of speculation historically that he must have traveled to the east to learn from Buddhist or Hindu, mm-hmm. you know, sages and all that. I think that's very likely, but who knows? Who knows? He, he appears on the scene at 30 years old, and it's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he's this radical savior character who has this new message of enlightenment of the kingdom of heaven is within you and forget this religious stuff the Pharisees are doing. It's all bullshit. Basically Mm -hmm. Um, the divine is within you and you are one with it, the law of one. Um, And and then they crucified him ultimately for that message. And so what Ross says is that Christ, uh, Jesus rather was a fourth density soul nearing the end of his fourth density incarnational experiences and ready to transition to fifth but actually chose to stay in fourth density because he loved fourth density and uh, you know, which is the density of love and compassion. And he actually wanted to be the, he wanted to be a perfect embodiment of it and, mm-hmm. and help those in a, in a third density to evolve and ascend to fourth density by, density. De- by demonstrating it essentially. <clears throat> so he knew he was coming to be a martyr. He chose that lifetime to, to play that savior character. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a gamble because you don't get to take your memories with you. Yeah. So he had to set up that lifetime in such a way that would he would have a, a cosmic consciousness awakening and remember, oh, gosh, I am not this body. I am beyond this body. Mm-hmm. And realize his oneness. And that's what he did. So, you know, Jesus, whoever, whatever soul that was, crushed it, basically, and, and did exactly what he was trying to do. And it worked because, look, we have Christianity now. We have Christ as this incredible example of what true love looks like, the love of the creator and forgiveness and compassion and kindness, salvation and all the messages that Christ taught that we now have called Christ consciousness. Mm -hmm. And he left this imprint of fourth density with us that has just echoed in reverberations through the centuries. And so it's, it's really a gift. Except that Western Christianity is, is not that at all. Uh, not th- well, I wouldn't say not that at all. I'm not going to love everybody in the same thing, but the Christianity I grew up with was, was very hateful, judgmental, self-righteous, not that vibration. Service to self. Service to self, for sure. Yep. Um, I thought it was interesting in the first book how Ra talks about um, the Orion group's influence on Moses or Moshi. Yeah. Um, with the tablets and how like in true free will Jesus or God have, would have never said thou shall not because that would be an infringement yes. on your free will precisely so now what do we what do we <laughs> I guess like not what do we do with that but when I read that it to me that was very that made sense because I was like if we're truly about free will free will is not okay you tell your child here eat your vegetables or you're going to go to hell like i love you but if you don't do what i say you're going to have this very severe punishment that's right. not true free will yeah. and so that's a consequence of like you not doing something i want you to do so if we're preserving free will in that in that state then we the, then we need to be able to live as such and so with all the 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 enslavement if you will or like people kind of telling us you have to do this you live in fear it was this very guilty child like always like I didn't memorize enough scriptures or I had a lustful thought or, you know, like, you know, whatever it was and, and always feeling in fear of this omnipotent, loving, gray ray fourth density being that I was terrified of. <laughs> yep. So That's it doesn't control. really like, 
Yeah, and so it doesn't really match up. Well, so what, go ahead. Well, that's, that's classic service to self, right? Mm -hmm. Service to self distorts the message of light in a way that it can use the light for its own purposes and use it for enslavement. So they use all the, the, the principles from law of one, which is that God is love, God is unconditional, unconditionally loving, forgiving. Um, they say, yeah, that's, that's all true, but <laughs> if you don't accept his love, you're fucks Phil. You're gonna get <laughs> barbecued yeah. for eternity, so you better do it. <laughs> so all of a sudden they go whoop, and they do a, a 180 degree switch of the true message of love, and they say that it's really about, it's not about free will any longer, it's, it's a form of enslavement to where mm -hmm. now, well, I have to serve this megalomaniacal cosmic, you know, being in the sky because if I don't, he's going to just torment me for Literally. eons of eternity. Yeah. So free will's gone. You're a complete slave at this point. And that's what the religion of Christianity has become. And uh, the whole thing about Yahweh and Moishe or Moses was that, <clears throat> you know, the, I think Yahweh was a positively oriented being that was trying to dictate to Moses the laws of one, but a service to self entity came in and spoke for Yahweh after the fact and began saying like, oh yeah, I am this, I am that, and you must serve me and worship me and thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And they just introduce enough of a twist. They don't like come in and rewrite the whole thing. Right. They use what was given and then they add a little bit of stuff on it to start changing it over time. And then it was incredibly successful because by the time we get to Jesus, you know, 2000 years yeah. later, waving the finger at the Pharisees saying, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, you are the ones leading people to darkness and you don't even realize it because yeah. you've, you've been enslaved. Yeah. You know, so you just said how the Yahweh was dictating to Moses and then someone else came in and spoke for Yahweh. Yeah. Um, Christians will argue that a very similar perspective is happening, that Jesus is the word and the right and the, the this, and the law of one is essentially someone turning the just enough to, to veer everybody off the path of salvation. Right. What do you say to that? Well, you can say whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> you, know a, you know a tree by its fruit. Mm -hmm. That's why Christ said that is like, look, you don't need to, let's not get in all these arguments about the philosophies and concepts of who's right and who's wrong. Hey, let's just go right to the fruit. Mm -hmm. Who's really living the path of love? Who's really demonstrating love? Are yeah. these religious people who say you should pay penance and confess your sins and do all this stuff? Are they really bringing the fruits of life into people or are they bringing the fruits of darkness, which is mm -hmm. guilt, shame, condemnation, and uh, Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs that people are standing on top of you and, uh, or no, sorry, unmarked tombs that unmarked people are un standing on top of you and you are contaminating them and they don't even realize it, right? Mm -hmm. That was a, a Jewish law that said, if you stand around a tomb, you, are, you defile yourself and you must go wash and cleanse yourself. Yeah. Jesus equated the Pharisees to those unmarked graves that are contaminating everyone that walks by them that comes into their energy field and they don't even know they're being contaminated. Why? Because they're using the message of light and twisting mm -hmm. it for their own purposes. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, the, the polarities, the service to self versus the service to others. Um, can you explain the, the, you know where I'm going with this, the 95 to 51 thing? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. That's a really fascinating part of the law of one. Uh, the idea is that the service to others path is the path of harmony 
and unity. So you only need to become 51% path of light to be eligible to incarnate into a, a fourth density positive whatever planet. Like, like if you were in school and you needed a grade to pass, right. service to self or service to others would be, okay, you got a 51%, you can go. Yes. It's, it's all about like spiritual entropy. Mm -hmm. um, entropy is a term from thermodynamics that essentially means um, the lack of order in any given system. Mm -hmm. And so the path of darkness or service to self is a very high entropy path. Uh, it's the opposite of harmony. So it's disharmony. And so, you know, it, it can unravel itself very quickly uh, if you're not under firm control of it. And so you basically won't be able to sustain a negative incarnation a truly negative service to self-incarnation unless you're like 95% or more polarized because essentially all of your, all the suffering and stuff that's involved with that service to self path will unwind you eventually and you'll start to polarize the other direction. And well, you have more reincarnated lifetimes. If you are on the, like, this is a question I had, like if you're on the path to self service to self mm -hmm. and you are trying to magnetize or uh, build up that very high entropy 95 percent polarity towards the negative would you have to then reincarnate a lot more times or like because the cycle thing is really confusing to me still uh -huh. uh, how many how many uh 75 years or whatever it is um to get to the harvest to graduate essentially to the next density but how many lifetimes of crazy entropy do you need to get to in order to reach that 95% to move to fourth density in the service to self? Yeah. Well, it's only third density that you really need to achieve that to um, become eligible to incarnate into a fourth density negative life. Because once you're in fourth density, remember, there's no more veil of forgetting. Right. So you remember your previous lifetimes and that you've sort of chosen this path. And so it's more sustainable at that point. Right. Um, but do you do you need more like the, i guess the question i'm asking is because there's no lifetime. rule it's not like how many lifetimes do we incarnate in right, i don't know right. um i know that there's these cycles for our listeners there are cycles that um we have like are they 75,000 years or 90 i can't remember uh, it's 25,000 for earth i believe okay. so yeah for just the, that's one cycle yeah that's just every time the harvest comes around essentially okay. on earth so if imagine that you were like Jesus, but not Jesus. Um, that first <laughs> lifetime that you got through, would you still have to continue to reincarnate during that same twenty-five thousand years before you could move to fourth, or after you did that one lifetime, could you move forward? Um, if you achieved ninety-five percent negative polarity, then yes, you could move forward. Um, otherwise, you would have to continue reincarnating mm -hmm. uh, in third density to have access to that. But mm -hmm. the, the, the harvest is every 25,000 years. It's literally our planets. It's called the diurnal cycle, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, this is all like astrology and basic um, cosmology and stuff. But mm -hmm. every 25,000 years, the planet repeats a certain cycle around um, the galaxy or something of that nature. I think it might be the galaxy's mm -hmm. um, cycle. But that's uh, when a harvest becomes eligible. So is the planet 51% or more? positively oriented if it is then it can click to fourth density okay. if it's like if it's like 35 percent positively oriented and you know 65 percent negative then it doesn't pass for either right right so, it so just this is the cycle it's our polarities as a collective that el makes the planet eligible for the harvest correct oh okay 
I didn't get that the first time around. Yeah. So, so what happened? Just keep, uh, I guess like it's it's like it's like a passing grade for Earth. Yes, that's a great way to look at it. It's like Earth passed the positive path. So in 2012, you know, we might have been more than 51 percent positively oriented before 2012, but the harvest hadn't really come around yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so once 2012 happened, maybe we were 60%, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. We were enough positively oriented for Earth to go, okay, now the planetary frequency is shifting to fourth density. Mm -hmm. but if we had been 95% negatively oriented at that passing, like we would have been a negatively oriented planet fourth density from that point on. So the uh, planetary okay. frequency now is starting to create negatively oriented fourth density evolution on the planet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those who have moved into, because essentially we, if we are 51% and we made a passing grade, which is what I believe that's what happened, right? Yes. Like we've moved into service to others as a fourth density planet. What happens to those who are still trying to, uh, like, will we get more people that incarnate as a negative polarity who've already done their third density go around? Or like, how does that work? Do we stop then getting people who come in that are? Well, what, what happens according to Ra is that, way more wanderers start to incarnate here. Okay. Which are higher density souls that have already chosen their path. And they do that because the lessons available now, because like our, our planet just made it to fourth density, but we're still carrying all of the third density stuff, right? Baggage. Yeah, baggage. So that creates this huge dynamic where, cause you know, in fourth density, Ra explains there's basically no, um, there's no catalyst. There's barely any suffering right. in fourth density. Uh, it's just learning the lessons of service to others and compassion and all of that. It's very, very harmonious. So and wanderers so, are coming down risking, though, yes. that they're going to get caught up in some karma and then get stuck here, essentially, in a cycle? It's a huge gamble. Okay. Because what they could get out of it is a giant amount of spiritual polarization, mm -hmm. uh, which is what they're looking for. But they could also become karmically involved in this lifetime and live with other people, or let's say they, you know, do something terrible, like commit a murder. Well, then now they're going to have to keep reincarnating here until they purge that distortion that they committed and end that karmic cycle. Yeah. That affects their vibrational frequency then and lowers the, it. It polarizes them negatively. Yes. Okay. So it takes away some of their progress. Correct. So you came down here to do something good and then you get stuck. <laughs> Yeah, you basically have to trust that your native frequency is high vibrational enough that you're not going to fall into those traps okay. and that you um, set up a lifetime that has the right um, variables in it to help you make sure you do learn those lessons. And that's why mm -hmm. the higher self, which is you from the future, basically like a, like a teacher in school, right? Like you go to a teacher to say, oh, what class should I take next year? This mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to do in college and I need these grades and da 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 da. They say, okay, let's take AP chemistry first semester. And they literally help you choose, right? Yeah. Literally what higher self does is, all right, you mm -hmm. need, uh, you're too high in wisdom, but lacking in self-love. So let's choose an incarnation where like, maybe you get abandoned by a parent at a young age. And so that forces you to learn to rely on your own self-love. Whereas if you have these really loving parents who dote over you and give you everything, you're not going to be forced to learn how to love yourself as much, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why the whole thing is non-judgment. We're not supposed to be judging people for what they're experiencing or who they are or what lessons they're learning. We have to just honor the fact that that soul has chosen that lesson. And mm -hmm. if I'm involved in it, then I chose to be a part of it. 
and I can maybe help them learn their lesson. So the, the best solution for anything, any you know, amount of suffering you experience at the hands of someone else is forgiveness. Mm. Because you break that karmic cycle, yeah. not only for yourself, but for them. And like, what better outcome could there be, right? Like right. if someone betrays you or hurts you, rather than hating them and forcing them to be that person even more so, mm -hmm. you know, like to, to judge the abuser is to create the abuser mm -hmm. right? because you're saying basically, I believe the same version of you that you believe. Yeah. But if I reinforcing you, it. yes, I'm reinforcing that, but <clears throat> forgiveness breaks that illusion and says, no, 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 no. I do not see you as that person. I see the highest version of you that's trapped in there. That's wanting to be made manifest but doesn't have the ability to because you can't see it and nobody else can see it. But if I can see that in you and forgive you, I'm speaking to that version of you and empowering it to life within you and mm -hmm. basically giving you the opportunity to see that in yourself and go, wow, if they can forgive me, maybe I can forgive me. And wow. now karma is broken. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah. That's like, I mean, essentially that's us like uh, doing our love ray shit. <laughs> that's love ray shit. <laughs> Collaboration, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Is it why, like, they talk about rainbow children do not incarnate in troublesome homes? That they are essentially now we're incarnating in this fourth density love race situation, and they don't have to learn self love and things like that. Um, that those of us who incarnated prior have like these really difficult those those of us that call ourselves light workers or those that are on service to others have these really tumultuous childhoods or upbringings or things that were very like traumatic maybe it's not abuse or something but it's a lot a lot of uh intelligence suppression things like that a lot of enslavement if you will uh -huh. um and those who are incarnating now i mean have you met some children today like so yeah. i have a um one of my well my parents have adopted four children and they're very young they're seven six um two and one so really really small but like a couple of these kids are my we, like weird in a cool way but just mind-blowing in the way that they seem so old yeah. um one of my friend's kids he he's five six um he at four he started observing meditation his parent like my friend christy she does meditation herself but this kid is by himself made himself a meditation room in his closet and puts his rocks in there and he sits and meditates and he wants uh -huh. to all he wants to know is about his love like does wow. this crystal have love in it does this and it's very peculiar for a child to have that type of observation at such early age it is yeah so is that like when, like i guess like what i'm asking or saying um is those rainbow children if you will if they have that title um that some of these souls now that we've switched our uh density well earth has since switch, switched its density that they're starting incarnating with their love ray and their abilities and things like that and that is maybe this is the beginning of us seeing the transformation yeah. yeah, we're seeing a lot more fourth density souls incarnating here. Um, well, because it's not even it's not even wandering at this point because we are fourth mm -hmm. density. So it's just, you know, it's matching their vibration. But uh, Ross says that at the time of the channel sessions in 1984 or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. he said there's about 60 million wanderers on the planet, mm -hmm. uh, which was a huge increase because, uh, yeah. you know, people are trying to be born at certain times to where when the harvest happens in 2012, they're like a certain age yeah. or whatever they're trying to do in their life. So a lot of us who are born today are likely higher density souls, wanderers, fifth or sixth density that mm -hmm. chose to be a part of this harvest and experience the catalyst available. 
So yeah, I mean, we're seeing the planet's frequency increase so rapidly right now. It's almost mind blowing mm -hmm. with the internet, with social media, the way it's connected us mm -hmm. is that we can share ideas. We can share love. We can share harmony with one another from across the globe. And the voice of light is sort of connecting together across the planet from countries that are in third world situations and tyrannies and all that. They're able to, we're able to see their pain and their sufferings and become mobilized to say, hey, that's not right. We're standing up for that. We want change. We want justice. And that's why we're seeing so much justice reform in our world today, yeah. even though it might come through, you know, some distorted forms of like overly politically correct and this and that. The point is there's an increased awareness about injustice on the planet because mm -hmm. that's what compassion does. And we'll see that, that outcry become more and more balanced as time goes on. Right mm -hmm. now, it's a bit over the victim side, you know, PC yeah. and all that. But the point is, it's still the path of light slowly evolving and waking up to itself. And that's a wonderful thing for all of us. Mm -hmm. So when, for yourself, um, when did you start to see that shift? Like, when did you start having a, that aha moment of like, wait a minute, this is not right. This is, and how did that come to you? Well, it's really funny because I had my first sort of awakening in 2012 mm. uh, when I left my church. You know, I was working at this church and all of a sudden I was like, I don't resonate with any of this stuff. Like, Get me out of here. And I just quit my job and moved across the country and stuff. And so I saw it in my own life for sure. I mean, mm. the reverberations of that. And so many people I talked to had their spiritual awakening either start or happen around 2011, 2012. Yeah. I think that's remarkable. It's, it's almost the same for me. Um, I already came away from religion before 2012. It was probably somewhere around, I remember when I moved to London, uh, 2009, 2008, somewhere around there. Um, I started meeting people that were like a lot different than me and I like had a different, I got out of the bubble basically. And I was like, yeah. shit, like, there's no re way that these people are going to hell. They're so much nicer than the Christians I know. I know, right? <laughs> so, I was like, there's so much more giving and loving and like they're doing all kinds of things in the world that are really amazing. That, does, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then, so that's when it started to fall apart. Um, and so then after kind of going through that process, um, yeah, it was about 2011, 2012. I actually got married. And then in 2012 was when things for me in that marriage, that relationship, all those other people, like friendships and things like that just really started to fall apart. And I was like, this is not, this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. This is not what I identify with. And now I have, um, you know, these people around that I feel like are suppressing me into this person that I don't want to be. And so like, it took a process of like, but that was when it was, that's when it started. There was a lot, I believe, I have nothing negative to say about my ex-husband because I think he was the catalyst from getting oh, and having yeah. that awakening and having all this, like, we had all this drama or trauma or whatever and stuff and me being like, okay, it was like me in that dream when the guy points the gun at you and it's like, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like me waking up within this and, and shifting that. So that's where... Um, I was already really sensitive as a child, as an empath, as someone who saw spirits. My, my dad can see them too. Like it's, it's kind of in our family. But wow. when I was uh, like around that time period is when it started coming back. We were in this, what I would consider a haunted house. Um, lots of spirits in the house. My grandmother had passed away and she came to visit all the time. She's flipping lights on and off. And um, I had an astral, I believe I had an astral projection with her where I stepped outside of my body and walked downstairs to go see her and talk to her and came back and laid right back in my body and then woke up. So wow. 
very similar things like that. So very spiritual stuff started happening around that time. And yeah. that's when I started getting more in touch with that. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I need to be helping people this way or doing that or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's about the same too. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you forever about this stuff, but we should probably <laughs> end this now because our listeners are like, what time is it? Um, it thank you so much for taking the time and like discussing these topics. Um, our last thing, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram uh, at Aaron Abke, just my first and last name, uh, AaronAbke.com. A-B-K-E. A-B-K-E, yeah. Um, probably be on the podcast title and all that. Um, and then website, AaronAbke.com. And then uh, YouTube uh, is actually, I haven't been able to switch my link forever, but uh, right now it's YouTube.com slash Christ Consciousness. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and philosophy. I feel like I really drawn to your material because you seem to break it down in a way like this is like dissertation level stuff (laughs) and you break it down in a way like I felt like I read that first book and I understood it decently. It was like I was remembering something, but there were some clarifications that I couldn't get. And that's how I found you. So thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I've had a blast. We should do it again. Awesome. Love it. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Interested in becoming a client for energy coaching? Find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at thelovelyalia for daily content and inspiration.